You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art, trailers, and behind the scenes. And it's showtime. Oh, yes. <laughs> if that wasn't enough, introduced what we watched. Say it once. Say it twice. Say it three times. We watched Beetlejuice. 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 From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Adam and Barbara are ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. Learn to throw your voice for your friends. Fun and party. Not bad. This is amazing. Want a cigarette? Oh, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, here I come, baby. He's guaranteed to put some life... Attention, King Workshoppers. ...in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Oh, you just let him out. (laughs) This podcast is going to get so much better. It's time to turn on the juice and see what shakes loose, baby. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, We start our traditional Halloween hangover. I believe we've done Prom Night 2 with this. We've done Rage Carry 2. We've done, last year, I think it was Critters? Uh, Attacks? That, That checks out. That sounds right. Yes, we love our Halloween hangover. We just need a little bit more. Just we need a a little shot, you know, an an extra bump. We're doing kind of a family friendly month for November because it's the holidays and we need a little gentleness in our life these days. Um, But but that said, being after Halloween, we need something a little spooky to start our family month. And uh, Beetlejuice, I think, is just the perfect movie for that. Oh, man, this is the starter kit movie for kids in horror. It was for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in November, we're doing, you know, a lot of people can't go to Thanksgiving. So it's basically all the films that you would be watching when you're with your family during the holidays. So we're doing four of them. We think we'll like a lot of, we'll think, we think you'll like all of them. A little 80s, a little 90s, but we're starting out with the big one, Beetlejuice. Yes. And may I say, it's perfect. I'm going to say it right now. I I change every Pride decade or so, but we're in a decade right now where Beetlejuice is my 
favorite movie of all time. So we're talking about my favorite movie right now. So we better be kind to it. <laughs> I, I don't have anything negative to say about this film because when I watched it, I kind of like, let's see if there's something I thought they could have improved. Nope. <laughs> because yeah. even the things where they're kind of like just overlooking stuff and like, yeah, whatever, who cares? You know, we're just, it's this type of movie. Let's not look into it. I still find it fun because it's, it's weird how they decided to Beetlejuice versus Beetlegeist and how they had the, you know, <laughs> how they had some of the characters pronounce his name wrong and then they spell it differently for marketing and there's a story behind that and it's just so much fun. And I did not know that Beetlejuice, his name is based off a star. Yes. And isn't it spelled like the Beetlegeist way? Yeah, it's B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. I don't even know how it's uh, pronounced. I, I don't care. <laughs> is it Beetlegeist? I don't know. Is it Beetlejuice? I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, this is, it's just, yeah, it's got a lot of, you know, we've got Saturn, we've got creatures like the Sandworm, we've got the afterlife, we've got it all here. It's so dark, but at the same time, family friendly, I just don't understand it. it it's got a fuck in it, yet it's still PG. Yep. How the hell does that happen? Perfect storm of just <laughs> everything working out right, I feel like. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't get it. But I like it. <laughs> yes, so. I like it a whole lot. In fact, it's my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we don't have to answer this, but have we seen this before? Of course, we didn't live under a rock. Yes, and I will say I've probably seen this about like thousands of times. If I, if you figure I've watched this at least once a year, that would be 30 times. But I have watched it much more than once a year. Plus, at the very early part of my life, like when I first saw this movie, I would watch this multiple times a day for a while when I was a little kid. So I've got to have seen this like thousands of times. <laughs> yeah, not only did my brothers and I watch this a ton, but we also just fell in love with the Beetlejuice animation. Yeah, I also was obsessed with the animated series. I've seen every episode. I would I would wake up when I was a little kid because I'm like I said, I'm 30 now. So when that show was on, I was probably like four or five. Yeah, I was pretty young, at least when the reruns or whatever were on. And I would wake up from my like little kid naps specifically so I could watch Beetlejuice and Batman when they were on Fox Kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Beetlejuice and Batman. Oh, man. And the intros are so iconic to both. Yes. Man, I could, I could go down and watch right now Beetlejuice, Batman, Gargoyles, X-Men. Oh, yes. Ah, yeah, we got we got lucky. We were in a good time in the 90s with uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely. And they, they became the every morning cartoons because they were just the Fox kids and uh, WB kids. All those, they just piled it on for us in the, in the early 90s. They just, every day, there was more of this stuff and it was delicious <laughs> yeah looney tunes the little guys um animaniacs tiny tunes man we got some good ones yeah we got really lucky and i, I think beetlejuice is one of my favorites of those as well the the animated series i know and they changed his character just enough to like really make one hell of a story 
And that's the franchise we got because unfortunately we never got a sequel. We never got, uh, you know, like a live action series or anything like that. The only exploration beyond this movie in this gigantic franchise was the animated series. So that's kind of our sequel we got. <laughs> and I think they did it exactly right. Because, I mean, basically we had an animation and we had an NES game. Oh, I didn't even know there was an NES game. Is it terrible? Oh, of course. <laughs> LJN, it's a fucking piece of shit. Oh, and the toys. There wasn't a ton of the toys, which surprises me. Yeah, there really wasn't like a toy line. Really? There was kind of the animated series toy line a little bit. We didn't really see movie toy line until the NECA figures from the early 2000s. Yeah, that was it. I mean, we had a brief Beetlejuice Lego toy line, but it wasn't much. I don't know if you remember those. Mm-mm, I don't remember the Lego ones. It, because there wasn't many. I remember the Beetlejuice uh, Lego guy. That was pretty cool. And they, I think they put out like one graveyard set, something like that. I, I, I don't know. I didn't buy them. Legos are just too expensive. I don't have patience for Legos, so... <laughs> I'm I'm good with the fr- the ones that are free rain uh Legos but I'm terrible about the ones where I have to follow instructions. Oh, <laughs> uh, you just want to build them on your own. Yes. I like the creative Legos. I don't like the uh where you have to follow instructions Legos. <laughs> They're just too expensive. That's why I would never I just like nope. It's an expensive hobby to keep. If you are get really into them. <laughs> and we've already got our VHSs, so fuck it. Yeah, I don't need more old shit in my house. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Lincoln Logs? No! <laughs> enough is enough. I got one stupid hobby and I'm going to keep it. It's VHSs and old uh, video games. Yeah, I'm good. I already got enough old shit. I'm good. <laughs> Let's describe this box art because it's legendary. How could you not? fall in love with this movie just from looking at the cover. Our cover just says Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. The name and laughter from the hereafter is our tagline. And then we've got Beetlejuice sitting on the the Maitland's house with the Maitland's next to him uh, in their wedding clothes. Of course, Adam's head is off and Beetlejuice is holding it. It's this beautiful, like painted style, too. We've got like a nice uh, sliver moon in the sky. And then on the house itself, we've got some of our fun people from the afterlife, like the feeling a little flat guy, the football players, the shrunken head guy, the shark foot guy. Um, We've also got uh, Adam's other head peeking out from around the corner from when he does like the ghost head. And then, of course, the Dietzes, we see their backs really small as they're all looking up at the house. Lydia's in her wedding dress and uh, the other two are just like looking up in befuddlement up at the uh, house here. Again, painted. It looks beautiful. This is this cover sums up everything I like. Beetlejuice is looking all rotten and stuff in his Showtime outfit. It's great. That's funny because my clamshell has uh, Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. It's Showtime. Oh, that's funny. So the not the name and laughter from the hereafter. No, that's hilarious. Oh man, I wonder if there is any other taglines out there. I'm sure there's a thousand because there's so many like one liners and things like that in the movie. Got plenty to choose from. I also love the uh, there's a like a production still on the side of the box, which is Beetlejuice in his wedding outfit, uh, leaning up against the gargoyles on his tombstone from the model that he lives in. Another production still that could have easily been the cover as well, and I would have ate up the movie. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's the one great thing about this movie is you have so much to choose from. I, I'm sure some of the marketing out there that we've never seen, because I'm looking at right now a uh, old 19, looks like 80, uh, it just says October. So anyway, it says order guaranteed date October 6th, street date October 19th. So we do know this came out in October for VHS, the home video. And it says, if Beetlejuice ain't the biggest hit in home video, I'll eat a lizard. <laughs> it just shows Beetlejuice uh, leaning against his own uh, VHS and says 35 million V8, 35 million VCR households are dying to get their hands on the newest rental blockbuster from Warner Home Video. Great. <laughs> Great. You know what? I would love to have a stand up of Beetlejuice. Yeah, that would be a good old thing to add to the mix. I don't know if they, I don't know if anyone even has them out there, though. Yeah, that would be tough probably to find and I bet they're really popular too like I bet I bet people who have them hang on to them yeah anyway what's the description on the back of yours this is a pretty long description that I've got here uh, it starts off with an uproarious ghost comedy there hasn't been anything like it since Ghostbusters from the Los Angeles Times what a couple of likable home loving ghosts to do what what's a couple of likable home loving ghosts to do when their New England home is taken over by trendy New Yorkers? Let's get that Beetlejuice person they decide. So they contact the afterlife's freelance bioexorcist to scare off the family and everyone gets more than he or she or it bargained for. You'll get more too, more comedy, more scares, more outlandish, gleeful, wanna see fun than ever because Beetlejuice is the name and laughter from the hereafter and for a long, long time to come. Director Tim Burton, who guided Pee Wee Herman in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, now teams with another irrepressible talent, (laughs) Michael Keaton, Night Shift, Mr. Mom, Clean and Sober. As Beetlejuice, Keaton is a jangle juggernaut of jokes, jolts, and jive. He hurls one-liners, spins into grotesque form, gobbles insects, and he just can't leave the ladies, living or dead, alone. Alec Baldwin, Knott's Landing, Married to the Mob, Gina Davis, The Fly, The Accidental Tourist, and more, join Keaton in a cast that puts the super in the supernatural spoof. Starring two is this movie's look. Burton and his crew create a fantastically inventive, screw-loose view of the world. And the next. You'll see monsters stalk, corpses wither, tentacles snatch, and an afterlife waiting room crammed with a goofy, ghoulish assortment of the recently deceased. Exercise your right to fun, say the B word three times, and you'll get that Beetlejuice person for yourself. You'll have a wonderful day o. Yeah, your description is a lot longer than mine. Yes, it, I wonder, this feels, so this VHS is from 1991, and I feel like this is still part of that old adage of the uh, VHSs where they just would dump every bit of information on you uh, on the back here. Like this is, this is still kind of first wave VHSs I feel like. And Warner, I remember from those early clamshells did have those super long descriptions and then they would have that little piece of like behind the scenes info as well. So yeah, I think this is part of that uh, style of VHS descriptions. And this one also from 91, this is my original one from 91 and it has lasted almost 30 years with me. This is the one that I watched. Yeah, you probably had this one. No, we had the 88 one because we had the Bugs Bunny trailer. Yeah, I did not have any trailers on mine. That's interesting. I don't have the 88 one from our house. Uh, I had the 98, 99 Warner Brothers one. 
where they were doing right before. Actually, no. It, you know, I wonder if the 99 VHS and the shitty DVD VHS rip came out in the same year. I bet they did. I bet they did. I bet this was the same time as that DVD came out. And yeah, like you mentioned, uh, we were talking about it before we went on air. That uh, first uh, DVD that came out is a nasty VHS rip. So unfortunate that that's the first DVD that got put out of this movie. And I think it has a really annoying like 30 seconds. Like just uh, they keep repeating the audio. It's showtime. And then it does the Beetlejuice theme song and then it stops, starts all over. So if you fall asleep playing that DVD, you will, <laughs> it will be burnt in your mind <laughs> in your dreams. <laughs> but my, uh, the back of my VHS description is just two paragraphs. You know, you read off the two paragraphs I've got, but it's like you added like four paragraphs. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's very long, very long. It is it is a one, two, three, four, five paragraph, yeah, description. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, they knew the, you know, less is more in 99. They're like, yeah, let's, let's just pull that one and that one. Let's go. And yours is a, yours is a clammy boy, right? It's in the clamshell. Big, a lot of wasted plastic. Love it. <laughs> just a ton of it's so freaking loud i didn't even pull it down i'm looking at the because they have the clam my exact clamshell on vhs uh collectors so i'm just sitting here looking at that so when you're sitting there reading i go mm, no <laughs> nope <laughs> nope not digging the beast uh, out right now <laughs> yeah because what happens is like when i have the clamshell next to me and i touch it it makes so much background noise <laughs> i'm just like no i gotta <laughs> i got google i'll be fine those beasts. Let's get into this movie. Now playing at a motion picture theater near you. Trailers. Now, you didn't get any, and I'm sorry. But don't worry, listeners. I got them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we've got... Okay, do you remember when Warner was doing the, like, scary collector's editions? Where they're like, you know, kids, Halloween, spectacular. I, I don't quite remember what they called it. But on that one, you know, they advertised. It's just a montage. You know, they advertised Beetlejuice, Goonies, Gremlins, Witches, Adam's Family Reunion. So they're desperately trying to move that one. That would be an interesting franchise review to do those three of the Adam's Family. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a cartoon recently, too, right? They, yeah, they did a new movie uh, feature cartoon. I didn't see it. I think you did, right? Yeah, and I loved it. I love all Adam's Family shit. It's also right up my alley. <laughs> I don't know how you could love a reunion. Oh, no, I don't. No, it's just like a, that's more just like a nostalgia thing. I remember when that was on, when it was like premiering on, I think it was Fox Family at the time. I just re I just look back at it fondly. It's not as good at all as the other movies, but it uh, it still has a nostalgic sweet spot it hits, though. No, and I think the WB was... You know, I know we're on a side tangent right now of Adam's Family, but, you know, it kind of relates to Beetlejuice. Uh, I think they were trying to make a TV series with that movie, right? Weren't they trying to spin it off? Yeah, that was a pilot for the, sh the series that they just, you know, had it as a movie then. Uh, but it was never going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah, they were trying to do another live action series, which tied to Beetlejuice is what Tim Burton is doing right now. They just announced. So we're recording this at the end of October here. Um, they just announced Tim Burton's next project is going to be a live action TV series of the Adams family. So that's what he's trying to get sold. And Netflix is throwing down 
tons of money for it, but it's a bidding war thing. So who knows where it's actually going to end up or if it's going to happen at all, because Tim Burton says he's going to do a lot of things that don't happen. So but it is it is connected. Yeah. So there's some connective tissue there. We didn't do a total side tangent of ridiculousness. (laughs) But our next one we had was the animation of The King and I never seen. I think I saw it once when it first came out. Uh, I probably rented it. It sounds like something I would have rented from like Hollywood video back in the late 90s, but I don't remember it at all. Yeah, the king and I, I, I don't, I, I vaguely remember the story. I think they made a live action sometime. Yeah, I've seen the live action Yul Brenner one from like the 50s or 60s or whatever it was when that one came out. But yeah, I, that one I've definitely seen. I think I've seen the cartoon. I think. Uh, and then the next one is something I have never seen, but it was definitely during the dog family movie days. Uh, Shiloh two Shiloh season. That's funny. I remember Shiloh. I didn't know they made more, though. <laughs> I don't think I saw it, though. Just like My Girl 2 or Homeward Bound 2. We all forget they were sequels. Oh, I never forget Homeward Bound 2. Homeward Bound 2 I like more than the original. I can't remember it, but I remember <laughs> I remember not too long ago, my friend texted me something and he mentioned, he referenced my girl, and I go, did you know there's a second? And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> second my girl's good. It's good. It's cute. Oh, no, no. I didn't know what he was ta- talking about. He's like, oh, no, my sister used to watch it. I didn't know there was a My Girl, too. Now <laughs> I remember. It's good. You should watch it. It's cute. It's got the kid from Last Action Hero and Prehysteria in it. Oh, man, My Girl, too. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I can go back there and do that one. <laughs> that feels even farther away than 1990-whatever. <laughs> feels like the 60s. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, there's a second? What? <laughs> It's like when I tell people there's a Grease 2 and they're like, what? <laughs> like, it's real. And we reviewed it. <laughs> and Sarah loves it. <laughs> uh, yeah, next one was Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. This is when WB was coming out with all the Scooby-Doo, like, animated short movies. Like, they weren't short films, but they also weren't, like, two-hour animations or 90 minute animations aren't they more like 60 minute ones they're like yeah they're they're about like they're just like the batman animated movies they're about 75 minutes each so they're like perfect for tv and everything like that they're not made for tv but you know they're easy to air yeah i mean they're still making these scooby-doo animated ones and honestly having seen like a lot of them they're all pretty good and witch's ghost is a really fun one well, I think it's easier when you put out a few movies a year on it and not, you know, try to do a TV series of it because that's when you just water it down. Yeah, because there was a reboot of the show, I feel like around, you know, the 2000s that I did not like. But the uh, the movies, yeah, have all been consistently good. So, yeah, you're right. When you have time to be able to do it and it's one kind of 75 minute burst, then it's good. <laughs> Yeah, but they're never going to reach the Scrappy-Doo era level of uh, just amazingness. (laughs) Scrappy. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy-Doo. I wonder if they ever brought him back. I think I I have to ask my expert friend Chase, who watches everything Scooby-Doo related. I think he said that they did bring him back for something. I wonder if it was ironically funny. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was meta because, of course, it would have to be. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure Scrappy-Doo would be like one of those child actors that can't get jobs anymore. So he's probably he's probably got a drug problem. Yeah, absolutely. 
I did like how they figured Scrappy Doo though into the James Gunn movies. That was really funny when he was the villain in one of them. <laughs> did they make three of those? Two of them. Oh, James Gunn, you've done so much. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the second one. It's fun. So Scrappy Doo's the enemy. I might have to see it now. <laughs> that that's probably just enough, just enough to get me to watch it. It's fun. And it's just super James Gunny, so and the visuals are cool, so it's fun. I like those movies. Yeah, and the last one was the restored VHS of the Wizard of Oz, where they redid all the color. I remember that commercial. Mm-hmm. I never got the my VHS of Wizard of Oz is that old ass one from like the eighties, so it uh, is not polished. <laughs> it is not recolored. Uh, but I remember the commercial for the recolored one. I have the recolored one right behind me in a clamshell. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I bought it for like 50 cents. It just came with a bunch of them because I'm pretty sure those there's so many of those are printed. It's ridiculous, but it's worth it. You got to own Wizard of Oz. It's great. So I want to say they did a, a like a short 10 minute documentary that's on that. I bet. Yeah. The Warner Brothers would tack on those little mini docs with some of their bigger re-releases and stuff like that yeah it's i mean warner brothers was good with marketing they knew what they were doing yeah and and one and to tie it back to beetlejuice and it was something we were talking about before we started uh recording it i don't understand why there isn't that much stuff out there about beetlejuice that has come from the studio there's been a special edition DVD that came out in the 2000s. There's the Blu-ray that came out in the 2010s. There's a new Blu-ray coming out, I think, this Halloween that's got a lot of stuff with it. Like, it comes with posters and uh, notebooks and, you know, one of those gift set ones. But there's no, like, good documentaries that Warner Brothers has produced on the series. And there's no, like, there's no the, the deleted scenes you can only, like, watch on YouTube. And they're the shitty work print cut version, so you can't really see what's going on anyway. I don't know why Warner has not given Beetlejuice the treatment it deserves yet. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I, I think it has a lot to do with the you know, same reason we still don't have a sequel is Warner Brothers puts it out as like one of their most iconic movies ever, but they don't treat it like it. I, I don't I don't I don't quite know how to describe what they've done with this because I just don't understand it. Me neither. And I, it, I don't know if it's a rights thing like with the Geffen Company or if it's uh if they just don't think they need to pizzazz up like a Blu-ray or anything like that, like they're just like, we're going to sell it anyway. So why spend the time making a documentary? Because people are going to buy this shit no matter what. Stick a book in it and people will buy it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what their logic is there, but it's pretty disappointing because I would love to see an official doc on the movie. And that's no knock against the movie that is Indiegogo fundraising that they're going to make about it. I'm sure that's going to be great. I'm sure I'll watch it. But I really would love to see like kind of more like a bonus feature kind of retrospective documentary on it. If Shout Factory, if you're listening, I know you got that contract with Warner these days. Hey, this could be ripe for the pickings. <laughs> yeah, I think what happened was so Paramount owns some of the rights uh, along with DreamWorks and along with Warner Brothers of these movies that the Geffen Film Company did. And I there's got to be something. There's This has got to be wrapped up on who actually owns something. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. Because this was originally, I think Geffen's library like got split because Geffen uh, sold the rights to Mike Judge's Beavis and Butthead. 
you know, the movie. Mm -hmm. So MTV Films doesn't own it. This blows my mind. This is why this has never been re-released. Uh, Paramount does. How about that? And also, uh, didn't they do that with Joe's apartment? Yeah, as well? I think it's the same thing where it was an MTV Productions, but they don't own distributing rights to it. It's fucking amazing. How does that even happen? I mean, I know someone sells it off and obviously it was split, so they had the right to do it. But oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it it's crazy, and that I know Geffen is also tied up in uh, the Tales from the Crypt, which has like a nightmare rights thing too. So, w- with all that, yeah, it's probably just the way it branches out from Geffen. Probably like, oh, you own this, you own this, you own this part of this, <laughs> you own the Crypt Keeper, but they own Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. Yeah, and I've also heard the only way that's ever going to be done is if a, another company comes out and buys out everyone. I mean, not not like buys out all of HBO because HBO has kind of said we'll sell the rights to it, but we won't sell the rights to who oh, I forget who owns. You know, the they own the Crypt Keeper. Someone else owns the library. That company will not work with HBO, Geffen. So I've heard that a lot of people say like, if someone comes in and makes a ridiculous bid just to buy them, I think all three companies would be like, "Fuck it." But no one's done it. Yeah, they're all. Tra- they have made it so they've all trapped each other, so they can't. And I wonder. Yeah, I just wonder if the same thing has happened with Beetlejuice, where it's like, yeah, Warner Brothers can put out as many releases or whatever, but in order to get everybody back together to do the documentaries or or those deleted scenes. You know, if Geffen just owns those deleted scenes, they're going to sit on it forever then. So I don't know. I, I don't know what has happened with this. But uh, I do recommend if you love this movie, there are three really cool deleted scenes on YouTube that you can see from the work print. They look like shit, but like at least it's a little glimpse of the what could have been or what's missing from the movie in a movie that's otherwise mysterious. When I when I I screened this movie at the uh, Logan Theater here in Chicago and I screened it with the deleted scenes and people were pretty hyped about it. But man, it's just hard to see. You can't even figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, I saw one of them and it's just they're bad. Yeah, Uh, they need. Well, okay, so you could take the deleted scene prints, the digitals and improve them a little, a tiny. But you have to have the original film to get them good. Right. And somebody's got to be sitting on that. Somebody's got to have it. (laughs) It's got to be who the fuck knows. It's got to be Geflin who probably maybe DreamWorks owns it. And DreamWorks is not going to work with Warner Brothers. Who knows? It's just not going to happen. That's just the way this happens. But maybe maybe DreamWorks is sitting on the rights to distribute it, but they don't have the rights to sell it. There's a lot of weirdness in a lot of these that, you know, and they get locked up and people don't feel like paying their lawyers to get this settled. Yeah. It's too expensive. It's not worth it. And we all know Warner Brothers owns the rights to any sequels. So that's all on them. <laughs> they have not made a sequel and that's all on them. They want it. They've constantly announced it. Now, apparently it's happening. We'll see. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I said that about Bill and Ted, though. And look, that worked out. So <laughs> here's hoping that in the next few years we will have another Beetlejuice. And here's hoping it'll be half as good as Bill and Ted 3 was. So, <laughs> yeah. OK, I think that's enough of the, the beginning. Let's go into this movie. And now our feature presentation. 
Here we go, Beetlejuice. We're finally into the movie. And basically, we're we're not going scene by scene. We don't have time. We'll be on this all day. So let's just talk about our our the actors in this and the favorite scenes from each one of them. And man, this might even take a while because there's so many damn good ones. But I guess we just got to start with the man who stole the show, Mr. Michael Keaton as Beetlegeist or Beetlejuice. Yeah, I think I think it goes without saying we have to say that he is in this movie for approximately 18 to 20 minutes only of this 90 minute movie. <laughs> but he feels like he's in so much more because every minute of screen time is just packed with some of the best over the top acting that is never annoying. No, I mean, this character he's created is perfect. It's been ripped off many times since this, but it's it's so quintessentially like Michael Keaton. Like, this feels like if his character in Night Shift died and came back from the dead, it would be this, because it's kind of it feels like that a little bit. But this is so Michael Keaton. Only he could do this role this well. Um, and yeah, like you said, steals the movie. He's barely in it, but you remember every single thing he does in this movie. It's one. Of, it's my favorite Michael Keaton performance, and he's barely in the movie. Yeah, I think he's. This is incredible. It's iconic. He's fantastic in the movie, um, even though he's barely there. Um, but uh, <laughs> he just, yeah, he walks away with the thing. He really does, and it's no wonder that a whole like franchise has been built around this character. It's legendary. Yeah, and I'm really glad that um, Sam Kinison. He was very much rumored to get this role and Tim Burton wanted him. But luckily one of the Warner brothers um, producers had mentioned like, Hey, I really think you should look at Michael Keaton. Tim once Tim Burton saw him, bam, it was perfect. And when Michael Keaton was, uh, you know, kind of like approached with it, he was like, uh, I don't know. This seems really weird. So Tim Burton then contacted him and said, like, well, why don't you just try it out? And I, I very much think this was uh, Tim Burton being like, OK, I'll listen to my producers. I'm young in the game. Let's see what he's got. And then Michael Keaton was like, well, he's going to kind of let me come up with my own character. Let's see what we can do. And to me, that feels like the director is just like, whatever, do whatever you want, because you're not really the guy I want. And this is just me predicting that this is all made up. And now it's true because it's online. But he came in and he's like, you know, this guy's from all these different time periods. Let's just put a bunch of shit together, you know, and that's how you got his costume. And then he was talking to the costume organizer and everything. He's like, I need some moss on my face or some mold or something like that. And when and I want my hair all over the place, like I just stuck my finger in a socket. And he came and when he read for the part. The producer was there that really wanted him and Tim Burton and a few other people. And I don't think they did any other test screenings because it was so positive. Yeah, he, he embodies the role. Why would you? You know, like he would just show up and he brings it, you know, and he's so funny. He was coming off of comedy. You know, this is before Batman. I think people forget that because uh, they came out so close together. Uh, this is before Batman. This is before Michael Keaton was ever. This is when he was just comedian Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was coming off of uh, one of my mom's favorite, um, Mr. Mom. And I have seen him in Johnny Dangerously. Have you seen that? Yeah, very funny movie. Yeah, and that was like, what, 84? 
45? Yep. Somewhere around that time. And then I think he did Mr. Mom. So definitely no one would have thought that he'd be doing this role. No one, uh, but the, you know, kudos to whatever producer, you know, said like, hey, I really think this guy's good. I think you're going to like him. He's a, you know, really good actor. He's not only that, but he can act over the top. He can do this role. And man, he just nailed it. Because the entire room watched him. They're like, holy shit. Because originally this was supposed to be a horror film. Or yeah, this was a vehicle for Wes Craven before uh, his divorce. So this was originally supposed to be a Wes Craven horror movie that was built for him at the studio because he had to, he was doing like uh, Deadly Friend and and stuff at Warner at this time. So this was Warner was getting ready to do a Wes Craven horror movie, and then it turned into this. <laughs> yeah, and it was you know originally he was supposed to be like a winged demon rapist short middle eastern man it it was wacky what this originally was supposed to be but i do know peewee's big adventure the way it was dark but comedic that tim burton did was what warner brothers is like i think we can turn this into a comedy and this started to slowly come together and then you know a lot of people in the marketing department of warner brothers was kind of terrified of this film and uh, you know these two companies coming together warner brothers and um geffen uh, they had agreed on a 60-40 split. Geffen was putting up 60%. Warner Brothers was putting up 40%. And Warner Brothers would take care of all the marketing and all the distribution. I don't know how a guy coming into his like second feature film in Tim Burton could pull off a 10 to $12 million budget in 1987 or 88. And I, I how do you get that kind of money? Because you just didn't have that kind of track record, but and then he overshot his budget and he had to ask for more money. And luckily, the same producer who got Michael Keaton in this was like, you guys have got to see this. What we're doing here. Put the money in. $15 million budget and it makes like, what, $100 million? Pro- yeah, probably. And that's not even including the VHS sales? Yeah, which I'm sure have been nuts for Warner Brothers. Um, but like... Well, Tim Burton wasn't necessarily untested because besides uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure being a big hit, he had all that work at Disney. He had the shorts. You know, he had Vincent and Frank and Weenie to show people. You know, I, I know they could look at it and like, you're really creative. But I mean, that doesn't always translate to movies. Well, I think he was tested, though, in that he worked for Disney. He was there for a while. He did, you know, some stuff that he could show, you know, besides besides it being talent there he had worked for real company you know what i mean he had, had true. real experience and Wee's big adventure was a gigantic hit too so like it was like okay give this guy some free reign and then thank god they did because it's his fucking masterpiece so <laughs> yeah i guess you're right Wee's big adventure was seven million dollar budget and it made 40.9 domestically so and that's not including the vhs so so Wee getting seven million dollars is actually more unbelievable i think they just i think they trusted Paul Rubens, I think they wanted, you know, that was probably where that came from. And then Paul Rubens really stuck up for Tim Burton, loving his shorts and stuff like that. So uh, it's just a perfect snowball that kind of led to Beetlejuice, I feel like. Just the perfect storm of all these things coming together. It really was. And then, you know, you got to consider Alec Baldwin coming into this. And what is so bizarre is to think of a time when Alec Baldwin was actually playing more meek characters yeah this was early alec baldwin here i feel like still like he wasn't 
he wasn't the shadow yet, you know? <laughs> well, and he wasn't this, like, because, I mean, obviously he turned into a guy who just took, like, all alpha male roles. But, you know, you had a time period where he was doing Beetlejuice and a hunt for Red October, which I don't know if how many listeners out there remember how good a hunt for red October is. If you don't, even if you don't like war films, it's incredible how good Mr. Predator. So John McTiernan, when he puts together the hunt for red October, go back and watch hunt for red October. I'm, I'm telling you everyone, it is one of the most dynamic cast of males put together. I've ever seen because it is just McTiernan has an ability to take all these alpha males and fucking get a great film out of it before he be you know went full crazy. Yeah, and like and really before Hunt for Red October and this movie, Alec Baldwin, like I'm looking at the back here and the, the things they've listed for him are like Knott's Landing and Married to the Mob. He just wasn't Alec Baldwin yet. Yeah, Married to the Mob. Have you seen that? I've not seen that, no. Alec Baldwin's just, he's just different. Yeah, he he's just had a fascinating film career. And you know what? He really is in the background of this film. He's a very important character, clearly. But it's funny. Even though Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin are carrying this film, it doesn't feel like an Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis film. It feels like a Tim Burton slash Michael Keaton film. It's true. They well, Gina Davis was a bigger star at this time. Gina Davis was probably your name kind of here. Uh, she was a superstar probably at this point. Every time I watch this movie, the two of them disappear into the Maitlands. They're the Maitlands when I watch this movie. It's not, I'm never seeing like, I'm not seeing the shadow and the girl from the fly, you know? It's like, it's it's the Maitlands. Yeah, and I think that's why like I don't feel like this is a Gina Davis, and Gina Davis film, even though she's very important and really good in it like i'm not trying to say she's not good or alec baldwin's not good in it they blend so much into their characters you realize that they're kind of they're us going through the film like what is happening to us we just died what the fuck is this book where are we at who's this beetlejuice guy we are them going through this film absolutely they're the perspective of us and and they're the they're the human Kind of because the Dietzes are more of a spoof, you know, they're more of a satire of yuppies in the 80s or whatever. So like the Maitlands are the ones we connect to. But yeah, even beyond that, I just think, you know, with the costume and their great performances and everything, they just truly disappear in these roles. I cannot whenever I've seen this movie thousands of times and I, I forget every time I'm watching it that it's these iconic actors. It's like, no, it's the Maitlands. This is who they are. And there and yeah, like you said, they're us watching the movie. So there's a lot of scenes that I could pick up on them. Uh, one, I, I guess just to describe them, I think they are one of the best on-screen couples I've ever seen. Yes, one of the most genuine. They want like they feel very genuine, and they're adorable. Uh, another thing I picked up, and this is just this time watching it, even though I've probably realistically seen this movie upwards of fifty times realistically thinking about it, even if you watched it once a year, that's a lot. I watched it a lot as a kid. Their relative, who is also, you know, trying to get them to sell the house, I just realized that I don't think they have the ability to have a baby. Yes. And the woman who is like, you need to sell this house. We can get you $250,000. Wow, she needs to really fucking step out of their space because <laughs> that's really rude. 
Yeah, I with her, I've kind of have this whole theory that they try to have a baby. Yeah, the they lost the baby, and that is their attraction to this underworld or this afterlife world or whatever you whatever you would call it with this movie, and you know, and then their atta- their attachment then to Lydia later mm-hmm. is because they've tried and can't have kids, and I think that's something that like I feel like an earlier draft of the script might have explored of maybe them going to the afterworld to find their their child, and then they decided to go a different route with the script later. But I just have a theory that it was that is in there, that that's in the in the subtext there. Yeah, I would love to sit down with the screenwriter uh, story writers. I don't even know how many there were now that I oh, there was a lot. OK, we had Michael McDowell. Yep. Warren Scarin and Larry Wilson. Larry Wilson. I don't know who Larry Wilson is. They're, they've all it's funny I've because I love Beetlejuice so much I followed kind of all of them as screenwriters and they all three of them just kind of make like fun movies they all write just like fun stuff and Michael McDowell writes some weird fun stuff too so I feel like a lot of that came from him but I, that's not to discredit the other two because the other two make fun movies too Jesus so I'm sitting here looking at Michael McDowell's, he's done Tales from the Dark Side and Tales from the Crypt. Wow. Good for you. Yeah, he did. He he wrote at least one story in the Tales from the Dark Side movie as well. Now he did two of them. Lot 2, 4, 9, and Lover's Vow. Uh, and he wrote 11 episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, the TV series from 84 to 87. He also did Nightmare Before Christmas. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Fun stuff. Oh, and he did Thinner, which I just watched this morning because it was on AMC. I love Thinner. I love Thinner. <laughs> oh, man, the gypsies, which I think gypsy is actually like a term you're not supposed to use anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they are Romani people. I think that is the PC way to do it now. Oh, so they're actually from. I just thought they were like people who traveled all over Europe. Well, I think. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's like the proper term for them now i think i think anyway back to beetlejuice um i will say that getting into the deets real quick jeffrey jones piece of shit man took pictures of a young boy we we're just splitting right now he's a piece of shit we're just gonna talk about him as an actor there's no need to wallow in the the dark shit he's done it's it's a bummer it sucks it's awful dude shouldn't work He's a bad person. But looking at the work as as Charles Dietz, he's very funny in this movie. As all of his iconic characters, he is so likable on screen, even even in the characters that he's playing that aren't likable. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be like this stupid kind of awful yuppie character here um, that's like pretending to be a small town person. Uh, But yeah, he is. He's likable. He's the one that you kind of like you hope Lydia kind of goes to. Well, to me, he's he's the character in this where I, I understand uh, he wants to get away. Uh, now, clearly, he's gone through some type of emotional breakdown and he's got to go out to the country to get away from his busy life in the city, which I, I think is New York. Yeah, they're from New York. And yes, he did have a breakdown. He had an actual breakdown. So they had to move uh, because... He couldn't like, yeah, I think he was working in real estate or something like that. He couldn't keep doing that. Yeah. And, and my whole relation to I obviously haven't had a, a whole breakdown go on, but occasionally I like to go out in the middle of the woods. 
Uh, I like to get away. I kind of understand what he's doing. But to counter him, because he's more of a leveled yuppie, to counter him is Catherine O'Hara, which is an over-the-top, super pretentious artist. She's definitely an artist. I just don't know if she actually sells any of her work. But she definitely acts like she does. Right. She acts like she's New York hot shit, but then like uh, Dick Cavett is her like uh, manager. And in that one scene, she's like, I've, wor- I've worked with you for how many years and I've sold none of your art. <laughs> yeah, that's a, oh, it's great. Yeah, she's uh, Delia Dietz. She is such a good character in this movie. I think kind of if this is Michael Keaton's show, one of the unsung heroes of this movie is Catherine O'Hara because she's so fucking funny. I'm here with you. I will live with you in this hellhole, but I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. And I know all the lines. I've seen this movie so many times. I could probably recite the entire movie front to back uh, if you put it on in front of me. But her delivery of those lines, it cracks me up like I've never seen this movie before every time I watch it. Now, who do we get into next? Is it Winona Ryder? Yeah, we can't. Winona Ryder is Lydia in this movie, and she is another, I think, version of us as the audience sort of watching it. But she is the the person maybe in the audience that has more interest in this stuff and more interest in the ghosts and the underworld and dark stuff. Also very funny, very fun, very adorable. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be slash marry Lydia. So (laughs) you can see us without the sheets. Of course I can see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can? Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. It feels like Winona Ryder during the 90s did a lot of these, not goth roles, because she is kind of like the first goth in my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. It's just my young mind that it is. It was definitely my first exposure to goth. So yeah, I get I get that. But it also started her on this like just she just cascaded down the 90s of kind of mopey slash emotional slash sad characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's her career has been awesome. She's amazing. But it's just funny to think about. Is this the actual role that started her down that path? I think so. I would I would consider this a breakout for her, like a breakout performance. Yeah, you're right. I never even thought about this. Is this a, is this her breakout role? I don't know. You know, it's got to be. It's this, then mermaids, then Edward Scissorhands, then Dracula. You know, like she one after another just kept knocking them out. <laughs> but I think this was her breakout. I can't picture her. Oh, Heather's Heather's. That came out. No, I Luke, that, no, oh. that was 89. That was a year after this. Oh, shit. Was it? I think so. Okay. Well, we could find out, but you're right. We'll just go with that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I just love that this started, you know, because I mean, then Edward Scissorhands, she comes back as a completely different character, you know, where he like flips the script with Winona Ryder and you really realize like, holy shit, you could, you are one hell of an actor. Yeah powerhouse for sure and like the fact that she's still going in uh what you would call stranger things is perfectly evidence of that like she's got it (laughs) you know what if she reminds me of kind of the michael j fox she's not 
the one you think about who's the gorgeous actress, but she's also really good looking, kind of like Michael J. Fox, where he wasn't like this most handsome actor ever, but he was just so really cute. And they were so likable. They're so good on screen. Now, obviously, Michael, you know, later on in life had, you know, physical problems, you know, where he kind of had to, you know, really pull back his acting. But I kind of like view them somewhat in the same way, where they're both really good looking, but they're also not the Brad Pitts. They are the everyman. Good looking and relatable. Right. The every man can project themselves onto them, but they are really good looking. You know, like you could when you watch a Michael J. Fox performance, you're like, yeah, I'm Marty McFly, but I don't fucking look so good as Michael J. <laughs> J. Fox. You know, and I think that's the same thing with Winona Ryder. It's like, yeah, she plays super relatable roles and you could project yourself onto them, but she's gorgeous. So, yeah, they've just got the really good ability. Obviously, you know, Michael J. Fox had to, you know, detours, <laughs> but What I'm trying to say is if Michael J. Fox never had Parkinson's, I guarantee you he would still be going strong in his acting, just like Winona Ryder. He would probably be in Stranger Things, honestly. (laughs) Fuck it. Put him in there now. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I would love that. (laughs) Um, If there's one actor who steals the show away from everyone else, because no one can compete with Michael Keaton, but Otho... Glenn uh, Shaddix. Is that how you say his name? I think it's Shaddix. Shaddix? Mm-hmm. Oh, I fucking love him. As flies the lizard, serpent fell. As goblin visit at the spell, the buried, dead, and slain rise again. What's happening to them? I don't know. They're dying! No, they're already dead. They can't feel a thing. That's enough now. Can you stop this? Otho. It's too late, Charles. I'm sorry. Otho was like my favorite character growing up because he's just so weird and funny. But like now as an adult, I, I still love this character. But I now that I know Othos, you know, like those those people that like think they do every they're jack of all trades, but they're not good at anything they do. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I love I love Otho. I, I was one of my childhood favorites. I still love him today, even though I know Othos now. <laughs> like, I know. And he died so young in 58 in 2010. I just want more of him. I mean, we still have him in Demolition Man, and I fucking love him in Demolition yes, Man. Yes, me too. But he's me also too. in Meet the Applegates, which no one's seen that film. Do yourself, if you like weird films, do yourself a favor, go back and watch that early 90s film. Trust me. It's a hard it's a hard one to find, but it is really good. Yeah, it does have that. It's like a cross between Tim Burton and like Heathers. And he's in Heathers, isn't he? Oh, yeah, I think he is, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I was I honestly like I don't really get affected by like celebrity deaths because I don't know these people. Yes, I love their work, but I don't know them. I was really heartbroken when Glenn Shaddix died because I had such a childhood connection with Otho. Uh, I was really heartbroken when he died. He he's also in in one of the episodes of Seinfeld that I love, The Apartment. I don't know if you ever seen that one. I'm not a yeah, not a Seinfeld guy. I don't really. Oh uh, well, he's just everything he's in. Such a treasure for people who love these character actors, which is just you and I, and I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to this. He was also he was also the senator in all that makeup in Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton one, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Tim Burton liked him. 
I mean, how can you not? He's such a good actor, and he disappears into all these roles, too. He's never just like, oh, you're just like, oh, that's Glenn Shaddix. No, he is always the character he was playing. He always disappeared so well in those roles. I wish we could have got more of him. We got quite a bit, but I'm just saying, I wish people would... <sighs> he was a bigger character actor name throughout his time. Yeah, and I wish he was still around, but it's, it, it's, it is a total shame. Yeah, I just got to roll with the punches because then we got Juno, the caseworker. I didn't want to bring it up, but rather than have you stumble onto it and make another mistake, I'll tell you. He was my assistant, but he was a troublemaker. He went out on his own as a freelance bio-exorcist. Claimed he could get rid of the living. Got into more trouble. In fact, I believe he's been sleezing around your cemetery lately. The only way he can be brought back is by calling his name three times. But I strongly suggest that you remove the Dietzes yourselves. She's so good, too. How cool is Juno? How, like, cool is that character? (laughs) Well, and I also, this is a new thing that I realized recently Okay, because Juno said, you know, she used to work with Beetlejuice and he was her assistant. Mm -hmm. But I also realized, oh, wait, everyone who works in civil service in this, basically the government, is someone who killed themselves. So I realized Beetlejuice killed himself. At some point. But he's been around for so, that's why he's like rotting. And so, so he's been around since forever. I feel like Juno killed herself not recently, but, you know, within maybe a hundred years. Beetlejuice has probably been dead rotting there for like a thousand years. <laughs> well, and they mentioned, you know, like they they told the Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, you know, Adam and Barbara, that they had to serve 125 years in their house. So Beetlejuice has been around so long that he finished his civil servant contract and became a, a freelance Bio exorcist. <laughs> bio. Yeah, he will possess people for you. He's a bio exorcist. <laughs> so that's how long he's been around. Yes. That he had the ability to like, fuck it, I'm no longer working. And then, you know, he. And I love how June is like, you don't want him. He's a troublemaker. And like, she's seen a lot of shit and she thinks he's bad. So that's that's saying something. So uh, I, I got to say, going through one of my favorite scenes visually as a child is when they enter you know the afterlife or whatever it is the underground world Mm -hmm. uh when the guy who comes through who like killed himself like jumping in front of a vehicle and he's run over this whole scene of the waiting room and everything just sparks so much creativity in my young mind I want to swim in this world. I want to, this is all these visuals and everything and the way like the the corpses are represented and stuff like that. This is just like every fucking thing I like. Like this is just everything that like does it for me. So I want to swim in this world. And yeah, feeling a little flat guy is amazing. Yes. Uh, I love that guy. (laughs) My favorite one in the waiting room is the shrunken head guy because his big eyes crack me up every time. And the way his head kind of like shakes a little bit when he turns, hysterical. I don't know what it is, but it triggers something in me that just I get so tickled when I see his big eyes and his little head. Uh (laughs) He's so nervous. And the smoking guy is great trying to cut back, you know, (laughs) like it's so funny. And then I love the scene with 
the football players. So a little bit later when they stretch their faces out and stuff like that, because I'm obsessed with the audience that's in the back watching the scene uh, with like, it's got like the skeleton and the guy with the sunglasses. I, I remember reading somewhere that that is supposed to be a reflection of us watching the movie and we're seeing ourselves in the flip side afterlife as we're watching the movie. So that's kind of the window behind Adam and Barbara when they're stretching their faces out. It's supposed to be us, the audience. I think that's so fucking cool. And I love the way it like looks too. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even think there was a book put out of like behind the scenes because, you know, I, I own several of these older movies books uh, Batman Returns. I own a little book of like the behind the scenes of that. I own a you know one on Dick Tracy. I own you know several of them. The Mask. So even this one, I don't even think there was a book of it out. And I would love to hear the production designers and everything. Now apparently the new documentary that this UK company is putting out that you can maybe still put money into with Kickstarter. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think they are still raising money, but they're making it nevertheless. Yeah, so hopefully that has, you know, with all the production. Because, I mean, the, um, I forget their names, but they won an Academy Award for Best Makeup. Uh, v. Neal is the one. And and her husband, maybe? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I was like, I don't know if they're married. But when I saw the trailer for the behind the scenes, what I can't remember. I think it's called The Book of the Dead or whatever. I know. Um, Handbook for the Recently Deceased. Yeah. They're on the same couch. They seem like a couple. I don't know. Maybe business partners if they're not a couple. But I remember V. Neal because she's the one that ended up winning the Oscar for this movie. Well, and they're both holding Oscars in the trailer for this documentary. So they both got one. Nice. One of the things that always stands out when I watched that was they're like, we were just making a little film. Yeah, we had a good amount of money and time to put this together. And when we were nominated for the Academy Award, they were shocked. They're like, what, the, what are you talking about? We're just making a fun little weird movie. But I mean, if you if you look at it, that the Beetlejuice makeup, it seems simple. It seems simple. Where you really look at it, just the detail with the moss and the hair and everything like that. He looks fucking incredible. So like I, I it is a very, very deserving Oscar that they got for this. Well, one thing I do know, and, and I find this fascinating, this happens with a lot of these films is apparently Every character that you see has a backstory that is written out. That's what I want to see. I want to know the smoking guy story. I want to know the head shrinker story. I want to know the head shrunk guy story. I want to know the shark foot guy story. Like, I want to know all these stories. <laughs> I want to know the girl who got cut in half story, which the legs on that, by the way, is Tim Burton's girlfriend at the time. Was that Lisa Marie at the time or was it somebody before? He's dated a lot of women before he and I think he's been married a few times, right? I don't. Yeah, I don't know about that. But I just like remember, you know, he was with Lisa Marie for a while and she was in a bunch of his movies and he was with Bottom Carter for a while and she was in a bunch of his movies. Yeah, well, yeah, he was with Lisa Marie from 93 to 2001. So it's not her. It was okay. someone else. Somebody before else. that. And by the way, I don't think he was ever actually married. They're just partners. Gotcha. Gotcha. So he's an anti-Mary guy, I guess. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. He's 62. Wow. I thought he was older than that. He, he started young then. Yeah, he really did. So I guess best scenes. Let's go. Um, well, I talked about some of my favorites. I love the waiting anytime they're in the waiting rooms or the afterlife. Uh, I am obsessed 
obsessed also with the Lost Souls room when they're walking down the canted hallway and the and the window shade comes up and they see the Lost Souls and then the the janitor guy is telling about that. I am obsessed. I need to know more. I need to swim in that world as well. So that's another like deep, deep favorite part of mine of like where the souls that have done so much bad have gone to die. I need to explore that world too. <laughs> well, I do know there's an explanation of that. that that's actually hell. Yeah, but I don't like I don't want to think of it like, you know, I want to like know what what's Beetlejuice's like. And I don't mean the character. I mean, the movie. What's Beetlejuice's version of hell? You know what I mean? Take me there. Well, if you look closely, you can actually see Jeffrey Jones in there. <laughs> so funny. So this is the first film when I was a kid that introduced that hell wasn't like hell that we had been told in church and all that shit. Right, it was a different view of the afterlife entirely. But they wanted to address a hell, and I think that was their explanation of it. Just like, yeah, there it is. That's where the really, really, really bad people go. The rest of us are all here. Yeah, I love that. I I, I hope the afterlife is this afterlife. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> yeah, just like really stylized dead people who never heal. But that, that That's one thing that Adam and Barbara don't actually have any, like, they drown. Right. So they don't have like water coming out of their holes or anything like that. Because mm -hmm. that's what I always found fascinating. And I'm wondering if they did that on purpose, if they chose a death like that, because they're like, well, we want to show them the whole time and we want them to try to scare these this new family that moved in. So I don't know. I don't really know. I have a story to that. Yeah, I think I think you're right, though. But I think it's like if they have them drown, then they don't have to be. Night of Living Dead underneath the sheets, like uh, Winona Ryder says. But I, I love their, I do love their ghost looks. I love when they do the stretched faces. But I also used to be so scared when I was a kid of when Barbara rips her face off in the closet. It terrified me as a kid. And I would eat this movie up. I watch it all the time. But I would always close my eyes during that part. <laughs> There's, I mean, this movie's really dark. Yes. For a kid's film that is family friendly. I There's a lot of stuff that I'm surprised. You know, I guarantee you some of the people in Warner Brothers were like, oh, oh my God. Are we seriously doing this? Are we going to get away with this? Is anyone <laughs> going to watch this? This is so weird. But it works. It works so well. I'm actually surprised Paul Rubens isn't somewhere in this film. I do really wonder if one day we'll find out he's uncredited in the background. I, I, I'm just saying that out loud because I know Paul Rubens and Tim Burton were such good friends. I would not be surprised. Like, what if he's in, like, the background of, like, the, the Dante's Inferno room or something. Like, yeah. one of those, like, yeah. I would I would not doubt it either. Yeah, I, I just have a feeling because I know, you know, Paul Rubens was supposed to be in more films of his. He just, I don't know what was up. I don't know. I think Paul Rubens was honestly too busy at the time. That too, probably. Yeah, he was on top of the world. Like after the movie, after Pee Wee's Big Adventure, he was already big enough with the show. But then he then the Pee Wee's Big Adventure just. Well, there's a good story of how he got into Batman Returns that if we ever do that film, which I'm sure we will, I, I can tell that's it's pretty good. Well, I think I think with Beetlejuice and, you know, I guess Pee Wee's Big Adventure uh, and then I guess Batman then after that, which was another big hit. 
I love sort of though what he inspired and like how we had in the early 90s so many cool different weird things and we could point to like the Adams family for that we could point to like the mask we can point to I'm just uh, stuff that wouldn't have gotten made if it wasn't for Tim Burton and I think we talked about this even in Dick Tracy like I don't think Dick Tracy would have got made if it wasn't for Tim Burton I'm I'm so grateful that we had that and like that's when I that's when I was growing up I was watching movies like these and like Adam's Family and the you know the the, the Tim Burton effect that it had on Hollywood what a great time you know but like how you like you're saying how did this happen how did we get all these really like light dark movies like this <laughs> the 90s were different i mean what we lacked in we just went to weirdness yeah we just well, we embraced creativity and i love that i love that like beetlejuice and batman helped kick in the door for just creative outside the box mainstream movies you know who i honestly think got us Tim Burton movies and this is going to sound really weird it's Freddy Krueger when he became such a pop culture icon you know we were tired of the slasher films we were tired of the excess of the 80s and everything but I think it made a nice transition into kind of the mopey 90s where we replaced the excess violence with just straight weirdness and because we were so used to all these gremlins and and freddy krueger and everything in our lexicon that i think he got away with this because everyone was like well i mean he's not a child rapist going around slashing people with his his glove I honestly think like those type of people inside of the popularity just transitioned quietly nice to Tim Burton where he got away with all this. And um, um, then if it, you know, if it's Freddie that led us there, I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I really think because like I always try to think is like, how do we get away with this? And I think it is the Gremlins. I think it is the Freddie where we got to a point where at least it wasn't that guy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and family was just like Beetlejuice. Oh, it's it's uh, yeah, Michael Keaton, Mr. Mom. Oh, look at him in his makeup, acting all goofy. And most parents probably didn't actually go like, "Wait, what do you mean this is about suicide and all this fucked up shit?" <laughs> and and ni- nice fucking model, <laughs> crotch grab. <laughs> and then we get to the Batman Returns when parents are like, "Whoa, whoa, this shit's fucked up. Who is this Tim Burton?" You're like, "Ah, uh, he's like you know one of the most popular directors right now. Your kids have already watched his Pee Wee movie, his." Uh, you know, his, his Beetlejuice movie, his Batman movie, and his, you know, Edward Scissorhands. And now you're bitching? Yeah, now it's too much. Now you affected our Batman. <laughs> and it's and it's too late. Yeah, too late. Damage done. We did it. <laughs> we had it. But what a beautiful time. What a beautiful, like, five-year period we had of, yeah, these, I guess, like you said, these Freddy Krueger kind of inspired fun horror light things. Great. Great. We were so lucky to have those five years (laughs) before the parents caught on and shut it all down. And then we got the fucking the the weird mid 90s uh, Independence Day style stuff. (laughs) Well, then we got like, you know, and I know you like it, but the Batman Forever is where you have someone come in and they're like, finally, we're back to camp. And then they realize just like you guys do know this is like the most homoerotic batman ever right <laughs> like eventually we got bat nipples and then everyone's like wait a minute one of the reasons i st- <laughs> i love batman forever so much is that it is all those things but then it's also still has like the remnants of the dark stuff left 
Because like I don't love Batman and Robin the way I love Batman Forever. I love Batman Forever because it is the smash of like it's a toy commercial. It's camp. It's the Tim Burton effect still. Like it it had it all for me. So yeah, but, but then yeah, by the time we got to Batman Forever, we were just selling toys and putting nipples on it. So and it's just like looking at his Batman crotch, and I'm like, <laughs> you guys know like these two are doing it right. If they're not, they you know they're really like into each other. <laughs> That's how I always looked at that, and I'm like. A man who designed that Batman suit really likes men. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. No, nope. I'm just saying we sold it to the public. And then finally, everyone's just like, wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You went from dark to gay. Which one do you like? You got to We got to deal with this, folks. You, <laughs> Mom and dad's out there from the 90s. You got a problem. But we all love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. True. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> and we were all eating it up like, yeah, we kind of knew what this shit was. But you all, you guys were all drinking, you know, red wine at the table. And we're watching this shit during the holidays. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Tim Burton and whomever else. <laughs> and and, Sh- and Schumacher, too, while we're at it. <laughs> Until he had to apologize for Batman and Robin. Because like, I, I, I didn't realize it was that bad. <laughs> Uh, and then didn't right after that he did eight millimeter he's just like i'm getting off this shit yep yep i'm gonna go as dark as possible (laughs) oh god i love all these 90s directors i really do me too i mean tim burton has been probably one of my like top three favorites ever forever as long as i can as long as i've wanted to make movies as long as i've paid attention to who's directing stuff tim burton has always been one of my tops and still is and i still love him to this day um i I thought dumbo was great so i still love him so still haven't seen it still not seen that maybe one day i thought it was great it's the disney remake aspect of it's not the tim burton for sure it did it was unnecessary but at least it does some different stuff and has some cool burton visuals in it so and i like dumbo's soundtrack i did listen to it i thought it wasn't really nice but you know what's what soundtrack's much 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 better beetlejuice holy shit one of the first score soundtracks i ever bought um i'm i'm more of a uh, I was always more of a needle drop soundtrack kind of guy. I always liked like songs and movies. I didn't really, I wasn't super into scores growing up, but this one for one of the, like I said, one of the first soundtracks I ever bought that was only score. And of course it had jump in the line of Dale on it, but <laughs> I love this score. Danny Elfman. This is the quintessential Danny Elfman score. Oh yeah. I listened to it this week at work and wow. So good. And you know, like you said, it's got the banana boat song in it. <laughs> I got to talk about that scene for a second. Like I one of my favorite things in movies in general, and I think it was born out of watching this at a young age. I love I do love music in movies like I was just briefly said, like I I love like a good needle drop. And if it's a good song in the movie, I can't hear that song then without thinking of the movie. And the Deo scene in this movie is one of the best scenes in cinema. I don't care. Anybody could tell me. Nobody could tell me otherwise. It's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, and what a great use of music. What a great use of a song. I'm obsessed with it. And I've taken that love of like a good song used in a scene with me since I've seen this movie. Yeah. And I always like the carnival scene afterwards where the two friends that came, I guess one of him, I guess the guy was used to work with the family. I don't know mm-hmm. what it was, but mm-hmm. like when they 
<laughs> uh, Beetlejuice like smashes him like uh, the game where you take the hammer and smash mm-hmm. and try to get to the top and he sends him through the roof and kills them. I guess. Yeah. Or sends them to space if it's like a uh, cartoon, you know. (laughs) He's definitely got some homicide on his hands here. Uh, (laughs) I love that scene. But I will say after Beetlejuice gets released and we have the Beetlejuice three times and we're not going to explain all these rules to you because if you haven't watched this movie, you have problems. Uh, That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying you got problems. (laughs) Go watch the film. Go watch it. When the little guy who comes out of nowhere to marry them, I love him. Me too. I'm upset. I wish there was a toy of him. I'm obsessed with him. I love the fireplace set where it's canted and angled. I love his look. And that's Tony Cox, our buddy from all these Is that Tony Cox? It is. (laughs) Oh, I did not know that. Fascinating. I love it. I don't know the guy who does the voice. I don't know who that is, but I know that the actor within the suit is Tony Cox. Fantastic. Um, I think that's going to end it. I think we should end it this week. I mean, and then go into a museum. And I think this is going to be one of the toughest museums of all time. I'm going to I'm ready for the museum. I'm going to okay. go in. Are we good? Are we good to yep. go? Let's right. go. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. I'm going to make the boldest thing I'm going to say with the museum, and I promise I'm not going to do this maybe ever again. I'm putting the entire fucking movie in the museum this time, and I'm never going to do this. This is not something I'm going to do, but for Beetlejuice, it's special. It's different. The whole movie's going in for me. So you know in Roger Rabbit, when he goes into Toontown, he goes through the tunnel, and then everything explodes in a song. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's going to be we're just going to get into a, like a little bitty like roller coaster ride, but not like one of the crazy roller coasters that sends you way up and way down. It's like we're going to get in this little bitty roller coaster, little cart, and it's going to roll us through a tunnel and then it's just going to burst with Beetlejuice land. You know, this whole like underground death world. I yes. imagine that's what our wing will look like. And just to mix it in there, I'm going to put in the soundtrack. So while we're going through this ride and you have the entire world in there, I have all the audio coming down. Perfect. This may be my favorite movie soundtrack. It's it's up there. Yeah. I think, honestly, for me, it's tied between this and Batman. <laughs> yeah, like, there's something about Danny Elfman's 90s, eight, late 80s, early, you know, all the 90s. Mm-hmm. Ah, they're so iconic. Yeah. And then you can just like oh, one of the movies that is great to pair this with is to go from Beetlejuice straight. You could say Batman, obviously, but I think Beetlejuice to Sleepy Hollow is better. Yeah, it's the Tim Burton horrors. It's the horror movies. But like, they blend so well together. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I, I just that's a double feature for me on these. You, I, I think you have to. I would love to hear other people's double features to Beetlejuice, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, we should put that question. Let's put that question out there. Listeners, if you write in or you do the Facebook or whatever, what's your Beetlejuice double feature? What's your second bill? What's your what's your B movie on that on that uh, drive in? Oh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I want to hear everybody's. What do they play with Beetlejuice when they play a double feature? I want to know. Mine's Batman. Mine's Batman. So (laughs) fair enough. I I can't argue that. I don't think anyone can argue that. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've got to wrap it up this week. We had one hell of... This was so much fun. So much fun to talk about Beetlejuice. 
Yeah, I, I love it. I would do it. I do a second episode. <laughs> yeah, got more, part I two. Got, I've got days I could talk about this movie. So. Yeah, because we barely even touched about the sequel where it was Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii. Yeah, which who knows? Maybe someday we'll see. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers is like, no, no, they killed the ghost of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they killed that. I did like it, though, that the deeds go to Hawaii and create a hotel and then a bunch of I don't know how they were going to get Roman soldier ghosts into a Hawaiian island hotel, but I am interested to read that comic book. I don't want to see the movie, but I want to read the comic book. Okay, (laughs) whoever wrote the screenplay for that one, whichever person wrote the screenplay for it and sold it in the 90s to Warner Brothers, you have to put that out in a graphic novel for something. (laughs) Graphic novel would be the best because I really want to know how the fuck you get dead Roman soldiers in Hawaii. I would love to see this. I would love to. (laughs) All right. That's going to end this week. Come back next week when we visit another movie that you watched during the holidays. And by we, I mean us. (laughs) We don't know what you watched. (laughs) Well, and also we mean you, dear listeners. We're not talking about normies here. We're talking about us peoples. (laughs) The Virdos. (laughs) So uh, that'll end it this week. Matt, thanks for coming on and doing Beetlejuice. Uh, like I said, anytime we'll I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, one more time. One more time. We'll do it three times. We'll do three Beetlejuice episodes because <laughs> that's the only thing that would make sense. <laughs> okay, so come back next week and remember to be kind and rewind. Pardon me. Did you do that? Very nice work. Let me ask you something. How do you get them down so small? Hey, there goes Elvis. Yo, King. Well, looks like I'm next. <laughs> Good thing, too. I gotta do a photo shoot for GQ in about an hour and a half. <sighs> yeah, they've been after me for months. Doing some kind of underwear deal. I don't know what. Whoa, hey, what are you doing? Hey, stop it! Hey, you're messing on here! Come on! Whoa! Whoa! Stop it! Whoa! Tango waltz or the rumba, Sinora's dance has no title. You jump in the saddle, hold on to the bridle, jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body, rock your body.